Coinbase blocking over 25,000 addresses linked to illicit Russian activity, making waves. My first take on this was a little bit convoluted. When I read this, I interpreted it as that they were blocking accounts that already held funds. But upon second review, it looks like what they have done is blocked the addresses of different wallets from interacting with the Coinbase platform. So they've identified, according to their proactive investigations, a list of 25,000 addresses related to Russian individuals or entities believed to be engaged in illicit activity. There's no details in their blog post beyond that. We have very limited information on what any of this actually means, how they identified these addresses, who they are, but it's been handed over to the U.S. government. And the exchanges have been in the news for the past week or two for not caving to government pressure to just outright prohibit all Russian citizens from their platforms. So the U.S. government's been trying to coax the centralized exchanges to, to just outright blanket ban anyone from the, the country of Russia from using their platform. I view this as kind of a olive branch that Coinbase is handing to the government to say, hey, look, we are complying with sanctions lists that you've created, but we're not just going to ban every Russian citizen because of the conflicts, which I think is a logical move. Um, I'm not too outraged about this because I think it makes sense. They have to comply with sanctions laws, but it does have this really opaque feeling around it because we don't really know what went into this. And according to the details that we, we discovered, this actually had been investigated before the Ukrainian conflict. So they had already done a lot of the groundwork tracking these addresses. I mean, who knows what criteria they actually used for that. And 25,000 addresses, it's very plausible to think that one or two or three or a handful of them got caught up in the mix. And that's really the concern I have is how easy it would be for really innocent people to get caught up in this fray. And that's really the, the, the risk you take with a centralized exchange. But again, there's no evidence in any of these articles that show these individuals are even using Coinbase. So, I, I mean, they somehow identified these people, but there's no, there's no evidence that they're actually using Coinbase full stop. What did you think when you looked this over, Mike? Yeah, so I liked your comment about the olive branch because that's basically what hit me most about this is it always seems like Coinbase, like Coinbase, pretty sure it was one of the first, if not the first, you know, medium of exchange in crypto to be listed um stock wise and it seems like every time the government is kind of it seems like they're setting their way up for a sweet long relationship with the u.s governments the way that they're kind of helping out which i definitely understand because it's the right move and you know especially in this russia ukraine situation the general public will agree with them more than they disagree with this move but yeah i mean it's extremely difficult without seeing any of the data, which, you know, we always want to see, but we're never able to see. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I, I would like to know, you know, 
how they identified the 25,000. Me and you were just looking at the blog post, blog post from Coinbase, but it says on a note that most of the addresses were identified prior to the invasion. So like my question is, is like, why isn't the U.S. government being like, well, why didn't you flag these then or, you know, stop them earlier? Yeah, I, it's just confusing. Like it's when there's pressure, you do the right thing. But when it's making you money and no one's asking questions, you don't care. That's what that's what's getting me about it. That's a good that's a good point. And I think. It's probably related to the sanctions that went into place two one or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. There were probably individuals listed on that who were previously okay. And I guess, I mean, if we think back a little bit, the U.S. government was out talking about the buildup of forces. There were probably conversations had internally about, okay, what happens? You know, Coinbase was probably sitting there talking about it amongst themselves. What happens if these people get sanctioned? We need to know we need to be ready so we can act quickly to show the regulators, hey, we are on it. Don't come at us trying to overregulate us because we're complying with, with your demands. That's and that makes sense. I mean that I, I don't think, you know, any of us are really surprised that they would comply with that. No. But the point is of course, hey, if you're on a centralized exchange, you have to be aware. You can get blocked anytime. So I'm assuming if these if these people were really truly money laundering or doing something illicit, they probably weren't storing a lot of capital on the the Coinbase books. But I could be wrong. Yeah, and we just don't know a lot about the details here. And I think the the key the key takeaway for me is at least the, like they're they're tracking IP addresses. They're they're using chain analysis to to see where this money's going and they're they're trying to be proactive to comply with governments because they know the political will is there for regulators to come at them. Oh yeah. And I mean it's not it's not twenty fifteen anymore. You know, like six, seven years ago you could have gotten away with a heck of a lot more and people wouldn't be asking the questions they are today. But I mean the other thing, just random points that we've talked about on other podcasts, Russia is third in Bitcoin mining around the world. They've got a very active crypto user base and apparently roughly 75 to 80% of ransomware activity goes back to Russia. So even block, like I get that you have to, you have to do it because of the sanctions list and to deter bad actors and to look good in the public eye. But I mean, there are still other ways, you know, I understand the sanctions and trying to shut everything down, but you know, they're just going to, everything that we keep shutting down, they're just going to find, you know, more ways to get around it. So I, I get it, but it seems like it's a, it's a, what's that, what's that tug of war game where the rope's not moving at all. Yeah, totally. And, and to that point about ransomware, I mean, that's, that's a huge problem and it makes sense to blacklist those addresses and to your point why were you waiting until now to do that if you knew before the invasion that they were linked to ransomware and so that kind of makes me suspicious that you could easily apply blanket criteria and and mistakenly include people who were innocent in the bands and such. So 100%. So I just ran a little story in my head. This is 100% made up. But imagine you're some like Russian shop owner on some fucking block where some Russian mob 
guy comes in for like a vig every day and imagine you you know what i mean like the thing is is they're blocking yep. the crypto wallets that they know are doing bad things and then they're banning any crypto wallet that basically so yeah i i lost you are you still there yeah i'm here sorry i got a phone call well, no no exactly i mean it's not hard to imagine that scenario right it's you can play it out and without more information it's really hard to i think make a an intelligent call on what's actually going on all we can really do is speculate yeah no i couldn't agree more but all right that, well no, I mean, yeah. yeah, you have an article about <laughs> a contentious topic, um, anonymity. Exactly. So the, the article is from the New York Times, and it's anonymity and crypto raises alarm. And the article starts off with the example of Wonderland, which is a decentralized reserve currency protocol available on the Avalanche network. Um, it's gold to is to build a policy-controlled currency system that optimizes for stability and consistency, um, you know, so that their coin time can function as a global unit of account. So for the investors to take part in the project, they entrusted their money to this Wonderland blockchain's treasury manager, who is only known by his, you know, um, not clandestine name, but, you know, screen name. And Wonderland launched in September 2021 and by October 28th, hit a 1 billion market cap. And by November 21st, hit 2 billion. So the issue with this is in early January of this year, it was brought to light that the treasury manager had served 18 months in federal prison for fraud. And since that happened, Wonderland's token time has seen almost a 70% decrease in market cap and is down almost 97% off all-time highs. Um, it's this story. Oh my God. Example. <laughs> yeah, I know this <laughs> example is like obviously very loud and it gets the attention. And, you know, the founder said that he knew of the fraud charges, but the, he didn't, he knew the guy and thought everything was okay and like trusted him and thought he'd change. So he didn't say anything. It didn't let the community know, but Wonderland is controlled by a DAO. So, the Dow had a vote to force him to resign in late January, and he had to resign because it was in favor. And then they, I think they tried to vote as well to get the founder who knew of the charges out as well, but that was defeated. But I mean, that news along with BuzzFeed, I think it was a week or two ago, identifying the Board Ape Yacht Club founders really sparked the fire that is anonymity in the crypto space. I mean, from my perspective, I think that TradeFi like people think this makes sense because it's what they're used to. You know, they're used to know your customer and anti-money laundering and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. They want to see who you are and what you've done in the past. But the crypto world, it's kind of got the belief that it's more of a fair system to be anonymous because we're based off of like our track record online and our expertise instead of academic achievements and family ties or whatever else. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's have, crazy though. What do you think? I, I think it's the, the prevailing argument against the board, a yacht club incident was, Hey, if you're a custodian of billions of dollars, that's a lot of power. 
and the public deserves to know who you are to a degree that I think is true. But at the same time, I don't think it's true because the Bitcoin blockchain itself, we don't know who Satoshi was. You know, people forget that. So, I mean, well, and that, yeah, and that's like you uh, can create something valuable and not have to be identified. I, I don't see why that is so controversial. Now, when if you're an investor backing a team and it's anonymous, you have to be aware of this risk that, hey, if they have committed fraud, you I would want to know that as an investor. I would want to know the track record. Like I would, I would, that's a, that's a nice to have, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And cause that's going to make it easier for me to filter you out and probably not invest you in a uh, back you. But there are, there's this expectation nowadays that you can stay anonymous, but I think you win points by doxing yourself because you have accountability. If you do something bad, people can keep it with you. You know, they can come after you. They can at least, you have to stay accountable to your actions. And so I think that's, that's the desire. And that's, that's right. I think, um, because you should be held accountable if you scam people. Oh yeah. Well, I so, mean, like think about it like this, where is the money coming from that's being invested in most of these projects? It's mostly traditional finance and VCs and stuff like that, that are making the switch over. So, I mean, if that's what they're used to, it definitely will help you more to kind of have one foot in the anonymity side and one foot on the doxing yourself side. Cause like in the article, it mentions that, you know, these bigger, huge companies are dealing with developers and, you know, figureheads um, that are anonymous and based on their track record, they're trusting them. But I mean, there have definitely been a couple of big wins and a couple of rug pulls that, you know, you could fight for either way is the right side. Yeah. And, for some of the people who have just gotten super rich off of crypto who have created their own little mini VC funds, they're the ones that I think are really driving the, the trend of backing anonymous founders. Oh yeah. And not, I mean, certainly to your point, not the TradFi people, but the TradFi people have had to kind of come into this world of, of being, of having to get comfortable with that. And that's where there's this really gray area of having to figure it out. And I just wanted to comment on one other thing is with the Sentinel project that they have a decentralized VPN and there is, this is a relevant topic because there are developers there who have not been doxxed that uh, the Russians are trying to dox because they have, they're leading this anti DVPN crusade right now with all the internet censorship that they're doing. And so this is, I think a good example to bring up because do you want those guys to be doxxed or not? I mean, they're, they're trying to build this thing that is censorship resistant for people who are under oppression and they have safety concerns. You know, the government's there that don't like what they're doing. They, they're going to do what they can to stop them. And so there's like a real safety concern there. And uh, it's hard sometimes because anybody could play that card, but the, um, the thing about Sentinel is that most of the team is not anonymous. They have some core contributors who have stayed developed developers who have stayed anonymous, but you can go on to GitHub and see all of their work. And so to your earlier point, 
we're judging people on the work they're producing and not not their past or whatever. So there's that meritocracy a little bit. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a really kind of fuzzy thing that I think we have to try to grapple with. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, nothing changes overnight, right? It's, you know, persistence and consistency wins the race. So as long as people keep believing that, you know, being anonymous is important to them for, you know, whether it's monetary reason, trying not to get, you know, have it all be stolen by thieves or hackers or whether it's a, you know, police government issue or whatever it is, you know, everyone has their right to whatever they want to do. Yeah. No doubt, man. Well, hey, this has been great chatting with you. This is an important topic that we're passionate about. So always good to kick the tires. Oh, yeah, definitely. You have a good day, brother. I'll catch you later. Yep. See you later. We'll be back on tomorrow for more Daybreak Crypto, baby.